बचा गईं कई लोगों को मुतहद लहरें डुबो दिया हमें पायाई तमन्ना ने मैं किस के हाथ पर अपना लहू तलाश करूं तमाम शहर ने पहने हुए हैं दस्ताने She said she had no recollection of what had happened that she had passed out after she drank the coffee and the juice that Mustafa Zaidi gave her This is the version of events she told the police officer who interviewed her in the hospital what she would say in court hearings and what we understand to be the sequence of events as we recounted in the last episode but only two people were in that room that day Shanaz Gul and Mustafa Zaidi and only one of them lived to tell the tale Shanaz's tale is the version that was repeated in every newspaper from Karachi to Dhaka. But her story doesn't answer one question. How did Mustafa Zaidi die? I'm Sabain Tiaz and I'm Tuba Masood and this is No Tana Scandal. It has been over 50 years since Mustafa Zaidi was found dead. What do we know? We know that something happened in the house that led to Mustafa Zaidi dying. We know that Mustafa was upset with Shanaz and that he had printed thousands of copies of a flyer with nude photos of Shanaz alleging that she was sleeping around to gain influence. But what we don't know is whether Shanaz knew this when she walked into Mustafa's room that day. But what is clear is this. The police initially thought that this was a case of suicide and then over the course of a few weeks something made them change their mind. Initially the police believed Mustafa had killed himself. Perhaps this is because it didn't look like a conventional crime scene. The air conditioner was working, the window screen and grills were intact. There was a photograph of his daughter Ismat. The telephone wire was stretched across Mustafa. An earring was on the floor. There was no murder weapon, no stab wound, no smoking gun. The only other person in the room was passed out. No one had been seen coming in and out of the house. The dead man was known to be depressed, possibly even suicidal. And so suicide was the theory that made its way onto the front pages of newspapers like Junk. But what is clear is that there was something about the scene of Mustafa's death that would raise incredible amounts of suspicion from Mustafa's friends and family, who saw signs that something was off. Suicide just didn't match up to their reality of a man who had been making plans for the same evening, let alone for the future. Then there were these pills next to Mustafa's bed. There were these camphor balls that were quite curiously scattered on top of Mustafa. Nasir Tarabi couldn't bring himself at first to enter the room, but when he glanced through the door, the thing that he found most shocking was that Mustafa was wearing a half-sleeved bush shirt. Nasir knew all of Mustafa's clothes. He used to have them dry cleaned for him. So the first thing that struck me was one. That the half-sleeved bush shirt isn't his. The pants are his. How can this be? The shirt in question, of course, was blue, the same color that Mustafa had claimed to be a bad omen. Mustafa's brother Irtiza also felt that something didn't add up. On October fourteenth, he came to Karachi and went to Mustafa's house. He talked to Iqbal, the chokidar, who said he didn't see someone come in or out. But this puzzled Irtiza, who knew that Shahid Abdi and a bunch of other people had come at night to try and get a hold of Mustafa. Irtiza went into the house. There was a strong smell from two cups with coffee stains. And on his insistence, the police took those cups into possession. 
Jung also reported that when Shanaz told the police that she had drunk something that had made her unconscious, the police went back to the flat and took that glass into custody. On October 17th, police officer Abdul Rashid Khan was appointed to take over the investigation. The next day, he went over to the flat. The items he seized from the flat included the flyers, three large nude photos of Shanaz Gul, 15 photos of Shanaz in different poses, two large photos of Shanaz and Mustafa together, 12 passport-sized photos of Shanaz, three portrait-style photos, one of which was of Shanaz with two other men, a tape with the voices of Shanaz, Mustafa Zaidi, and a woman named Zaro, a letter in Urdu, a ring, a photo of Salim holding his daughter, three postcards from Shanaz to Mustafa, and a pistol with 25 cartridges. And while some of this would not be part of the prosecution's case, according to the Star newspaper, there were also apparently sex instruments found in the house. The police officer also collected other evidence to send to a chemical examiner, including a piece of cake, a coffee tin, a plate, and a spoon. The police also gathered a bunch of medication from the flat. The police went with Kesar Raza to the scene. As he would later recall, The party opened the garage in my presence. I saw many boxes and crates in the garage, lying scattered. Locks of some were open. The bolts and locks of some boxes had been pulled off the hinges by force. Many articles were seized and put in a box. This is the same garage, and these are the same boxes, where Mustafa had apparently stored the thousands of flyers he had printed in Karachi. By the first week of November, the police had interviewed everyone, from Shahid Abdi to Iqbal, the Chaukidar. They had reports from the chemical examiner, the autopsy report from Mustafa, which, it's important to note, was inconclusive about the cause of death. The results of a chemical analysis of a stomach wash of Mustafa, a report confirming blood and semen stains on Mustafa's clothes, and a report from a medical board, which had been constituted to examine all of the medical reports. On November 5th, 1970, police officer Abdul Rashid Khan filed a first information report. The police then arrested a suspect in the death of Mustafa Zaidi, Shanaz Kul. Shanaz told the police that she was unconscious and that she didn't know what had happened to Mustafa Zaidi and how he had died. But that's not the version that friends like Nasir Tarabi believed. For the last three years, as we've been researching the death of Mustafa Zaidi, we've come across not one, but many, many theories about how Mustafa Zaidi died. And none of them have to do with Shanaz being unconscious. Over the course of the next few episodes, we're going to discuss all of these theories. We're going to look at the court files and the police investigation and what was reported in the newspapers. And eventually, one day, we'll tell you what we think happened. Our first theory. Shanaz Kul killed Mustafa Zaidi. Why is this such a popular theory, Duba, that Shanaz did it? Well, Sabah, there were two people in that room. Only one of them lived. So a lot of people assume that Shanaz is the one who killed him that she had po- a vial of poison in her handbag. She got it with her, gave it to Mustafa. Mustafa died. The next day, the first thing that Salim took away from the crime scene was her handbag. The interesting thing is that I asked a lawyer who was involved in the prosecution, and he laughed when I asked him about the handbag, and he said, yes, that handbag. And then he said, yeah, that handbag was produced in court afterwards, and there was no poison in it. 
because he took it away. So how do we think this poison... Well, firstly, it's hard to assume that it was poison. Well, we know that he was... He was drugged. He was drugged. There were drugs found in his system. But how would this have happened? And who is the person who told us this theory? According to Nasir Tarabi, on the night Mustafa died, Shanaz went and opened the door that led to the kitchen from the external set of stairs. So in a lot of old houses, and even in some houses now... You see this set of stairs that leads up to the house from the outside. It's from the a spiral outside, a spiral staircase, staircase. Um, kind of like a fire escape. Yeah. She put the poison in one cup and brought it back. She gave that to Mustafa, and then in the early hours of the morning, she was given Librium, a sedative, and then she lay down. So when she was found, Mustafa was in his bedroom, and she was somewhere else in the flat. So there are two very interesting things about how Nasir Tarabi told us the story. One is, if she's already given him this poison or the sedative or whatever, who is she opening the door for? Well, Saba, here's where things get interesting. Narsid Rabi says that one of the people that Shanaz let into the flat was her husband, Salim. And why? She let Salim in, according again to Narsid Rabi, she let Salim in to suffocate Mustafa, to basically... To actually kill him. To kill him. So Shanaz basically gave him a sedative that would make him unconscious, but not to actually kill him. Exactly. And then she lets someone into the house who came in through that kitchen door. Exactly. So technically, she didn't do it, but she let someone in to do it. And Nasir believed this more strongly because he believed that Mustafa wasn't just killed, that Mustafa had been tortured before he he did. He did, yes. So in this theory... Shanaz is an accomplice and then she is given a sedative I mm-hmm. guess by whoever does the actual yes. killing and that's why she somehow is still unconscious yes by the time the police breaks yes. in and why why would Shanaz go kill Mustafa Zaydi or be involved in this I feel like there there was there were a lot of motives involved the biggest was that Shanaz had found out about the flyers do we know this we don't know this on record, but we know that Mustafa had been spreading rumors about Shanaz. He had been ruining her reputation. And if Shanaz did pose for those nude photographs, I mean, maybe she just wanted to get her stuff back. And maybe Mustafa was just being Mustafa. Later on, they do discover that somebody went in and broke open those chests. The Kesar Raza uh, statement actually does say that some of those boxes and chests were unlocked. The locks had been unhinged. In fact, this also comes up like a month later, because a month later, then they believe that there's been another break-in or something. Yes, right? yes. That, And that's why all of these things are missing. But I mean, there were still enough flyers that were produced in True. Porch. I also feel that Shanaz had been put in a corner by Mustafa because, you know, he was harassing her. He was stalking her. He would show up at her house. He threatened to kidnap her. He threatened to kidnap her. That whole scene at the airport where he literally got on the plane to give her that magazine. I'm sure she felt threatened. She must have felt scared. And Is that scared enough to want to kill someone? Could be. I feel like given violence against women, it wasn't that unheard of. But given everything we know about Chen Oz, I'm sure women are backed into a corner. Or anyone when backed into a corner can take a step that they think is for their own safety. But does Shana's goals seem like a woman who is capable of murdering someone she apparently was in love with? I don't know, which is why this is still a theory. And that's perhaps why, she, if this version of events is true, then she's in the one who did it. Mm-hmm. This way, I guess, she only opens the door mm-hmm. and lets someone in. Mm-hmm. 
But this isn't the only motive for why Shanaz and Salim allegedly may have killed Mustafa. No, it's not. There's also another theory that says that Shanaz actually didn't do it out of her own motive, but that she was used somehow as as a vessel, really, to to enable the killing of Mustafa Zaidi. Also, Zaba, I would like to point out over here, before I forget, that Nasir Tarabi implied that Shanaz and Salim wanted to get rid of Mustafa because they were done with him. He was of no more use. Because he had lost his job and so he wasn't important anymore. Because he did imply that Shanaz was only with Mustafa because of his influence. That's a pretty extreme step. You could it just leave them out in the cold, which yes. Shanaz already done, right? Yeah. Like she had, if, if this version of events is true, which everyone says that, oh, Shanaz rejected him because mm-hmm. he had no prospects left in life, then then why get rid of him completely unless he had something on them? Yep. And he was threatening to expose her by accusing her of smuggling. Mm-hmm. He'd try to get one of his nephews to file a smuggling case against her. He'd said that she was bringing back diamonds, diamonds from mm. Europe. So I feel like, yeah, like he had pushed her enough. And then there was a the theory that Shanaz and Salim didn't do it out of any of their own motives that they were used or was used to do this. And why? Who else wanted to get rid of Mustafa? The influential men that Mustafa had implied. That Shanaz was sleeping around yes. with. I think it's also important to remember the context of that time, right? It's still 1970. Corruption is still a huge moral charge, as Mustafa mm-hmm. had learned himself. And to be accused of corruption was a very big thing in Pakistan. It's not that corruption didn't happen. It's just that it was life-threatening or career-destroying, really. It was very rare for a corruption case or someone to be known as corrupt. It was very, very rare. And in this version of events, Mustafa has some kind of leverage in the situation because Mustafa knows that someone is corrupt. It's the thing that he implies mm-hmm. in the foreword to his last book as well. That somebody had attempted to bribe him. And since that event had happened, since Mustafa had refused to accept this bribe, that his life had become a living hell. And this isn't the only person this had happened to. Mm-hmm. There were other government officers who had had similar experiences where they were offered a bribe. They had rejected it. And then they quite strongly believed that whoever had given them this bribe, including people from the government, were trying to kill them. So Mustafa's fears weren't in isolation. This had happened before, and this could have happened to Mustafa too. But what else did Mustafa have on the government other than this one bribery charge? There's also this theory that one person told us that he was writing a white paper alleging the crimes of the Yaya regime, which, sure, maybe he did have something really explosive on them. One thing that probably caused a lot of fear and suspicion, particularly on behalf of, of Itza, was the fear that Mustafa's life really was in danger. Sabah, Mustafa's brother, had received a letter the day he found out that Mustafa had died, trying to tell him to caution Mustafa, like a premonition sort of thing in a letter that someone was after Mustafa. So I think that is what cemented, at least for his family, the thing that it was a murder. Not just that, Mustafa had also implied to Itza that Shanaz was very influential that the kind of men she was connected to was influential. And then there was a smuggling charge. Oh, the smuggling charge. The smuggling charge stuck around for a long, long time. Very long, actually. I think for as long as the case went on afterwards, the smuggling charge stuck. And what was the smuggling charge exactly? That Shanaz Gul, a housewife, a mother of two children, was involved in a smuggling ring of women who brought stuff into the country from Europe. And again... It's 1970. Smuggling is a big, big thing in this part of the world. And while it might seem a bit strange and outlandish to think that somebody like Shanaz Gul could be involved in smuggling, 
again, apparently, women were involved in smuggling at the time, who at least implied to other women that they could make some money on the side by doing this, even if it wasn't like a great big organized gang. It certainly existed. And there's always this implication or this theory, and I guess it's because flight attendants have always had such a um, such a misogynistic view of them in the world, but that many people have told us that, oh, there was a group of air hostesses who were involved in smuggling. Interestingly, many people also refer to Shanaz as an air hostess, which I thought was... I think of, it's a label, right? Yeah. Like it's a label that like is given to women who are seen as whatever fast and loose and mm. liberal. And I think it's because there's this like perception yeah. and this horrible stereotyping that was associated with flight crews at that time and probably still exists now as well. And so this theory that Chanaz was involved in smuggling really stuck. And that the reason that she that Mustafa had died was because he knew about the smuggling and that he was trying to expose her. So the smugglers did it. The problem with this theory is that when Mustafa was trying to implicate Chanaz into a smuggling case, even his family couldn't quite believe it, right? They thought yeah. that the reason Mustafa was making this charge was because Mustafa was angry at Chanaz because she wouldn't answer his calls in London or mm-hmm. that he thought she was seeing someone else, not that she was an actual bona fide smuggler. That's what Nasir Tarabi told us, that when Irtiza pushed for the smuggling thing, he would send these files over, but they would just never go forward. We've read a lot of the investigation into this case, and I just don't think that the police ever had enough proof that she was involved in smuggling. Remember, they went to Shanaz and Salim's house. Yeah. They searched the house. They blocked both of them from leaving the country afterwards. They tried to find out how Salim had made money. But they don't seem to ever have gotten any proof that Shanaz was involved in smuggling. In fact, the only charge that really did ever stick against her was that she was accused of murdering Mustafa Zaidi, but not for smuggling. And then what if it was just somebody taking revenge on Shanaz's behalf? Like an old lover? No, or one of the many apparent lovers that she had. True, could be. That if she was seeing somebody who was so influential, it's not the most difficult thing in the world it's to not... order a hit on a depressed poet who lives in a, in a house. I mean, it would be very convenient to make it even look like a suicide. She did have friendships with several men. And we know later about a few of her lovers, lovers paramours. paramours. The one I only speak in <laughs> 70s language now. Even some of the articles that we saw in Star, which alluded to all these influential men, didn't name any men. But it always like, you know, oh, because of her friendships with influential men or this or that. So yeah, it could very easily be something like that. Maybe she went and she told someone that he's really bothering me. And that's how Mustafa Zadi died. I don't think that's how he died, but again, this is one of the more popular theories out there. And then there was also the implication that the police helped cover up the crime scene. Well, an interesting thing for that, I think, is that it's actually not about Mustafa then. Because do you remember the whole thing about how people didn't trust the police at that time? So the police was also trying to be over-efficient. There was that whole thing about the change between Ayub and Yaya. I think there's some perception that the police was still honest at that time and wasn't as widely Mm. seen as corrupt as it is now. So I don't know if that's the thing. I think what people started believing was that there was so much government pressure or influential pressure Mm -hmm. on this case that the police botched up the crime scene. For example, the fact that apparently one of the cups had been washed. Also the fact that the investigation team just kept changing all the time. That's another can of worms altogether that will open up at a different point about how this investigation actually (laughs) happened. And then I think the seeds of doubt were really planted on that first day in the hospital with the police officer 
who took a photo with Shanaz. Oh yes, that police officer. Some of Marunj tell tells what what happened that day. Well, we've already talked about this a little bit in the episode, uh, in the episode that we did bring up this photograph in. So this photograph of Shanaz that was taken while she was still in the hospital, and there's a police officer who's leaning over to ask her how she is. And when the photographer saw this, they got the perception that the police was clearly taking Shanaz Gul's side. But it turns out, actually, that that police officer wasn't taking Shanaz Gul's side at all, is that he actually knew Shanaz because they were family friends. And so he was inquiring how Shanaz was doing, not that he was trying to influence the investigation. In fact, later on, he was sent away so that he would not be involved into this case at all. There's also this weird perception that the police in collusion with the government, mm-hmm. helped cover up whatever had happened to Mustafa. Yeah. Even if it wasn't Shanaz, that they covered, that there was a massive cover-up and that the investigation was not done the way it should have been. Which to us seems strange, given how much documentation there is of the investigation, how many police officers mm-hmm. were involved, how many resources were really spent. And then there were two other theories, one of which includes the then-president of Pakistan, General Yahya Khan, the military leader at the time. And then there's another theory, which alleges that the cousin of Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, Mumtaz Bhutto, who died very recently, was somehow involved in the death of Mustafa Zaidi. We must repeat once again that these stories are all allegations, that they are not verifiable, that they are conjecture based on reports that were published in the press at the time, that were recounted to us by people who are no longer living, and that we have managed to put together, at no point are we endorsing that any of these things actually happened. What we do know are the facts of the case, the court trial that happened, the murder charge against Shana's girl. These theories are the theories that are out there in the ether and that we're going to explore in this podcast. I'm Sabah Imtiaz. I'm Tuba Masood. And you were listening to Notes on a Scandal. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Notes on a Scandal. We'd like to thank author and translator Bilal Tanvir, for reciting the verses by Mustafa Zaidi that you heard in this episode. You can follow us on Instagram at murdermystery70, where we're posting photos and other context of the events that happened around the time of Mustafa Zaidi's death. You can also follow us on Twitter. And our personal Instagram accounts. I'm Sabah Imtiaz. I'm Tabahi Tuba. This episode was recorded at the Center of Excellence in Journalism at the IBA.